This is a message from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. We pray that it will encourage you in your walk of faith. If you would like to learn more about Dr. Youssef or Leading the Way, please visit ltw.org. When Wendell Wilkie one time was visiting Franklin D. Roosevelt in the White House, he asked him a following question after he observed what's going on for a while. And the question went like this. I said, Mr. President, why do you keep that frail, sickly man, Harry Hopkins, constantly at your elbow? Now, regardless of what you think Harry Hopkins did or did not do, I just wanted to listen to the story. (laughs) Without a moment's hesitation, Roosevelt replied. He said, Mr. Wilkie, through that door flows an incessant stream of men and women who almost invariably want something from me. Harry Hopkins desires only to serve me. And for him to do that well, he has to stay close to me. As I read this, I thought of David. This frail, young, obscure, not very well respected among his brothers, And yet chosen by God to be king. He anointed a king. There are two things about that similarity between David and that story. Number one, he stayed close to the Lord. And that is the secret of his service. Secondly, he desired to serve the Lord only. There are so many people in the churches for mixed motives. There are so many people in the church for varieties of reasons. And only God knows the true motives. There are so many people who are into God only for what they can get out of God. There are so many people into Christianity of what they can get out of Christianity. But David the king was there to serve the living God and serve him alone. That was the motive of his heart. And that's what God saw and distinguished David from the rest of his brothers. And that is why he didn't only become a great king of Israel, but he became... One of the greatest men in the entire history. Why? Because God is looking for availability above ability. Because God is looking for willing servants, not reluctant doers. Because God is looking for God servers, not self-servers. And there are many people in the Christian church who are long on talent but short On testimony. There are many people in the Christian church who are long on ability, but they are short on availability. There are many people in the Christian church who are long on wishfulness, but short on willingness. And the first characteristics that we're going to learn in this series of messages, the first characteristics of a champion for God, is that God puts availability above Ability. Now, I'm not minimizing ability. Don't misunderstand me, please. Because all of our abilities are gifts from God. They come to us from the hand of the living God. Ability without availability equals inability. Most people are familiar with two things about David. They are familiar with his greatest victory when he slain Goliath. And they are familiar with his greatest defeat when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. But there's much more about David than those two events. Just to put it in perspective, Abraham and his life occupies 14 chapters in the whole Bible. 
Joseph's life occupies 14 chapters. Jacob's life occupies 7 chapters. David's life occupies 66 chapters in the Bible. In fact, there are more than 59 references to David in the New Testament alone. This champion for God lived not a Teflon lifestyle where all the problems and all the difficulties and all of the sorrows of life just slipped by, did not affect him, no. He lived a difficult life. He lived a tragic life. He lived a lonely life. He he lived a life of broken dreams. He lived a life of brokenness, period. So you can relate to him today. Now some of you may have thought that great men and women of God are people who have no problems. They're people who have no difficulties. That there are people who have no pain. They have no grief. Far from the truth. Far from it. What makes men and women of God to be great men and women of God is how they deal with their problems. Is how they react to their difficulties. And on the nursery rhymes we've learned as children, all of the king's horses and all of the king's men could not put Humpty Dumpty together again. But you're going to discover in this series of messages that the king of kings himself, not his men, but the king of kings, put David's life together again and again and again. Why? Because David knew where to go in the midst of his brokenness. There are two ways in dealing with your brokenness. You can deal with it in humility, you can deal with it in repentance, and you can deal with it in restoration. Or you can deal with it in bitterness, anger, resentment, and ineffectiveness. And you know the great thing about the Bible, the more I read it, the more I get engrossed in the Word of God, the more I love that Word. You know the great thing about our Bible is, It doesn't take people into the back room and wash them, sanitize them, and clean them, and then wrap them in cellophane paper and show us the final product. No. We see right in front of our own eyes what is happening in the life of this man. The Bible reveals to us the sinfulness of sin. The Bible reveals to us the blindness of sin. The Bible reveals to us the consequences of sins. As you will see again and again, God has forgiven David. But you see, there are consequences to sin. Look around in our society and see brokenness and hurt and pain. And they all are the result of the consequences of sin. God has forgiven us, yes. But the consequences linger on. Above all. In many ways, actually, those 66 chapters in the Bible about the life of David, they truly make one of the most incredible soap opera that Hollywood has ever imagined. I mean, everything is there. Murder, adultery, everything is there. But the difference between this true life drama that's recorded in the Word of God and the Hollywood soap opera is that the Bible reveals to us the wages of sin. Hollywood sanitizes, Hollywood glamorizes, Hollywood sugarcoats sin and the consequences of sin. 
So with that brief introduction, I want to give you a 10-second historical background. Now, if you blink, you'll miss it. So fasten your seatbelt. Moses comes out of Egypt, brings the people out of Egypt and get into Sinai. And then he loses his nerve. God told him he's going to take him to the promised land. But instead, what did he do? He formed a committee. Every time you form a committee, in order to do something that God told you already you should do, and to discuss it, they will lose a nerve. Sure enough, they put it up for a vote, and it was ten to two. (laughs) Ten lost their nerves, only Joshua and Caleb, so let's go and get them. And God said, okay, you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. That generation will never see the promised land. For disobedience and going ahead and forming a committee. When God says to do it, do it. Don't go around consulting people. Do it. Joshua comes in. He takes him into the promised land. They get the victory and then Joshua dies in the promised land. But before he dies, he makes him a solemn warning. He said, if you do not follow the Lord your God and the commandments of the Lord your God, you will be the most miserable people on the face of the earth. That's a use of translation, but that's what it means. And sure enough, they don't heed his message. And we get into the book of Judges, and there the book of Judges become a day like our day. A day when everybody wants to do their thing. They want to do what is right in their own eyes. It was a day in which they removed God's moral standards. It was a day when they rationalized their indulgences. They winked at their rebellion. They abandoned the responsibility to God and the promises they made to God. They were busy doing their thing, doing what feels good. Seven times in the book of Judges, read it. Seven times when they get into a difficulty, they cry out to God, Oh God, please. And God will send them a judge and he will deliver them. And the moment they get their prayers answered, they way out back where they were. How many people do you know? They go to church, man, they're here before the janitors when they're running into a problem. And they're so holy and righteous. And as soon as God answers their prayers, they're out of here like a shot. And from the pain of the book of Judges comes the beautiful story in the book of Ruth. Ruth, the Gentile woman, the beautiful, loyal Gentile woman. I have no time to cover her life, but she marries a Jewish man by the name of Boaz. Bowers and Ruth have a boy named Obed. Obed, when he grows up, he has a son named Jesse. Jesse has eight boys. The youngest was David. And 28 generations later, in the same city where David was born in Bethlehem, a virgin gives birth to a baby, Jesus, the Lord, the Messiah. Don't ever underestimate the sovereignty of God. Please, if you get nothing today, listen carefully. Don't ever underestimate the sovereignty of God. It is the pillar of our faith. God will always accomplish His purpose with or without your cooperation. Now, if you get cooperating with Him, you get the blessing. The flip side of this, when you don't cooperate, God is going to still accomplish His purpose, but you get the curse. Now, God doesn't send you the curse The curse comes if the blessing goes. And that's what happened in the life of Saul. We're going to see in a minute. God did not send an evil spirit. This is how the Hebrews talk. When God's spirit was taken away, the only other alternative was an evil spirit. 
to torment him. Back to the book of Judges. God answered the prayer of a woman who was barren, who called upon God, who prayed with all of her heart, and she said, God, if you give me a son, I'll dedicate him to you. And God gives Hannah Samuel. And she keeps her promise, brings him to the temple to serve the living God. And Samuel becomes the last of the judges and the first of the prophets. I told you this is a quick historical background. Now during Samuel's time, Israel's temperature was lousy. Parents were abandoning and abdicating their responsibility to their children. Even Eli the priest was so busy in his position that his family was falling apart and he didn't know it. And the people of Israel's rebellion at that point, the rebellion against God, it took on a special form. It took on a defiant turn. And they came to Samuel and they said, Enough this business of God being our king. We want a human king, just like the Canaanites and the Amorites and all the other ites. We want to be like the other people. We don't want to be different. We're tired of being different. And Samuel goes out and he weeps to God and God says, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me, Samuel. Give them the desire of their heart. They didn't want God to be their king, they wanted a human king so they can manipulate him. They rejected Jehovah as their governor and they wanted a human governor who could legitimize their rebellion. So Saul becomes their first king. Let me tell you a few things about Saul before I leave him here. Saul was gifted on paper. (laughs) He had all the talent in the world. He was a king with all the abilities. He was a king with all the human credentials. Best resume in town. This is just a little problem. His heart was rotten. So God rejects Saul's leadership because Saul has rejected Jehovah's lordship. God rejected Saul's kingship because Saul rejected God's kingship. But I want you to notice one thing, very important. Saul continued to function as king. Look, here in 16 it says, I rejected him. But he continued to be a king for a long time afterward. What's that mean? Do you know of churches that continue to function as a church while its ministry is totally ineffective, has been rejected by God? How many ministries do you know that continue to go through the motions of ministry, but long ago they have grieved the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God rejected them? Even Judaism as a system It was rejected by the Lord Jesus Christ immediately before the cross. And yet, for 70 more years, the temple stood after that rejection. You see, God is so patient. He's so patient. Please hear me right. A church may have all of the stained glass windows in the world. But the Spirit of God may not be there. A ministry may go through all the motions of ministry, but the Spirit of the Lord has been quenched long ago. A person may have all of the trappings of a ministerial office, 
But the anointing has gone. Or never was. In fact, I want you to notice, if you have your Bibles, turn to the Bible reading of today. Chapter 16 of 1 Samuel. There is a contrast in those two halves of that chapter. In the first half of the chapter, David is anointed a king. In the second half, he goes in the service of the current king. In the first half, you see the Spirit of the Lord come upon David. In the second half of the chapter, you see that the Spirit of the Lord has departed from Saul. In the first half of the chapter, David gets anointed with oil. In the second half of the chapter, you see Saul being tormented by an evil spirit. In the first half of the chapter, you see Samuel grieving over Saul. And in the second part of the chapter, you notice that Saul was totally oblivious to his spiritual condition. My God forbid that to happen to any of us. God tells Samuel the prophet, he said, Now Samuel, stop wallowing over Saul, for I have rejected him, says the Lord. I want to ask you a question. Please listen carefully. Can you mourn over something in the past for too long? Can you? Can you mourn for too long? Yes. The answer is yes. And you may be sitting here today, mourning over past bitterness, mourning over past hurt, mourning over past injustices, mourning over past betrayal, and mourning over past loss. And your mourning may be rightly so. I'm not questioning it. But when you mourn for too long over the past, please listen to me. When you mourn for too long over the past, you lose your way. Toward the future. So God said to Samuel. Enough mourning over Saul. I've already rejected him. Get up. Get some oil. And get to Jesse's house. You notice here. God did not say to Samuel. Now Samuel. Get oil. Go down to Jesse's house. And anoint David. His son. To be a king. I love it if the Lord speaks that clearly. Wouldn't that be wonderful? To discern it right away. And you don't have to struggle. You don't have to wait. (laughs) Why? Why didn't he say to him, Samuel, get up, get oil, go down and get David anointed. (laughs) I'll tell you why. Because God never gives you information ahead of time. He never gives you all the information ahead of time. Even if you are a prophet. (laughs) If he did, you wouldn't learn. If he did, you wouldn't grow. If he did, you wouldn't mature. And here the Lord is about to teach Samuel. The first lesson is that availability is above ability. But I want you to notice Samuel's reaction. This is magnificent. Verse 2. Samuel said, yes, Lord, whatever you say, I'm ready to do it. Did he say that? No. No. You know what? If Samuel did this, we would all say, we can't relate to this. This is a robot. But he was scared to death. Listen to what he said. He said, Lord, Saul will kill me. (laughs) He was concerned for the safety of his wife's husband. (laughs) And he was scared to death. He said, Lord... I'm not ready to die. I still got a few more years left. I don't want to die yet. This is a legitimate fear. It is well known. 
that if a king learns that another king is chosen, that chosen king and the one who anointed him, their heads are chopped. You remember Herod? As soon as he heard there's a king born in Bethlehem, he chopped the heads of all the babies in Bethlehem. And Samuel wasn't ready for that. Sometime, and I'm not saying always, but sometimes, the Lord would ask you to do something that is scary. Sometimes the Lord will ask you to do something that requires risk. Sometimes the Lord will ask you to do something that demands sacrifice. Sometimes the Lord asks you to do something that requires you and necessitate for you to do some spiritual bungee jumping. <laughs> Why? Because the Lord is testing your willingness to trust Him. He is testing your willingness to take Him at His word and knowing that He's down there Already putting his hands out to catch you. Whether it is a sacrifice of money, whether it is a sacrifice of time, or whether it is a sacrifice of reputation. God puts the question there. And he waits. Are you going to do it? He's going to wait. I want to tell you something. If you think you can outweigh God, <laughs> forget it. And he'll wait. And he'll wait. He's going to see how you react. He's going to see whether you're going to take the plunge or you're going to pull back. Verses 6 to 13 tells us that Samuel finally takes a plunge and he goes to Bethlehem to Jesse's house. I don't want you to miss this. This is the principle that I want to elaborate on. He goes into Jesse's house after he sacrificed, which was a good excuse. He says, Jesse... Give me your best and your brightest. Now, I want to tell you from a Middle Eastern culture perspective, you've got to understand that the oldest boy is the joy of his father's eye. He is the apple of his father's eye. He's the joy of his father's life. It's the eldest boy. That's just the way things are. I'm one of eight down in the bottom. <laughs> Thank God I got... I had some love left by the time I came on the scene. So Jesse said, bring Eliab. Eliab comes out, the eldest. Now, if you're the eldest, just forgive me about what I'm going to tell you, okay? (laughs) Mostly, this is not always the case, but mostly they're highly strong. (laughs) Overachievers. And Eliab has been successful in running the family business. Man, not only that. But in his younger days, he played for the Bethlehem Steelers. (laughs) He was named the MVP of the year three consecutive years. This is the creme de la creme. Jesse's best. And he walks in there. Look at the Bible said. He's tall. He's handsome. He's strong. I mean, he comes in and Samuel says, wow, I got my man. He gets up the oil and he gets up. And he started anointing him. God said, sit down, Samuel. <laughs> Lord, he's the eldest boy. This is the best. And God said, sit down. That's not what I'm chosen. So, okay. Comes the next one. He said, bring me the second one. The second boy walks in. Well, <laughs> the second boy was different. Abinadab was a studious type. 
I mean, he had a Ph.D., and his research papers are known throughout the land. In fact, he made the Jesse name famous because of his research papers. He was well-known. Ah, okay, now I get it, Samuel says. God wants an academician to lead the nation. God help us. But... (laughs) Well... God is looking for the scholarly type, you know. And he gets up with all enthusiasm. He's about to pour the oil on him. And God says, Samuel, sit down again. Well, I missed it again. He goes back to Jesse. He said, Jesse, bring me your third boy. Shammah comes in. Now, let me tell you something about Shammah. He has a Harvard MBA, but despite of that, he was also smart. When he was a successful business dealer, he was a wheeling dealer. Man, he became an expert on merger acquisitions and leverage buyouts. And he was a great negotiator. Now, when you get the two combination, a guy who's from the Middle East and a good negotiator, get out of the way. (laughs) You'll lose every time. And Samuel said to himself, I said, now I get it. (laughs) God wants an experienced businessman to run the nation. That's what he had. Okay, now I got it, Lord. Okay, he gets up and start. And God says, wrong again. You can imagine Samuel by that time is just a bat. Stopped guessing. He just stopped trying to second guess God. He just stopped trying to assume. My friends, I want to ask you this. How many times have we found ourselves to be in Samuel's place? We go this way, and we go this way, and we go the other way. And every time we convince ourselves, surely this must be the way. Surely this must be the one. Surely this must be where God wants me. Seven boys passed, paraded in front of Samuel. Seven boys, one after the other. And the Lord says, not him, not him, not him. Why is that? Verse 7 gives you the answer. The Lord himself gives you the answer. God said, we judge people and situation by how they appear to us on the outside. But God judges the inner motives. We get taken by those who have the ability to use sanctimonious language and we think, wow, I'm the greatest spiritual giant. But God reads the unspoken language of the heart. We can be duped by someone's ability on paper. But God judges by one's availability to fully serve the living God. Finally, Samuel asks Jesse. He said, are these all your sons? This is it? And Jesse probably stuttered and stammered and scratched his head and Hesitated for a minute and then he said, well, no, not really. We have the runt in the family. (laughs) He's not here though. He's not here. And in a culture where the firstborn matters the most, in a culture where age and success matters the most, God says, none of these are really my choice. So Samuel said to Jesse, go ahead, send for that runt. I want to see him. Just bring him here. And I can imagine little David, you know, the teenager, teenage boy who's working in the 
with the animals, shepherding, most likely barefooted. And he walks in there, and God says, okay, Samuel, you got yourself a winner. Imagine Samuel's reaction. This boy, Lord. Yeah. Why? Because God puts availability ahead of ability. Will you listen to me as I'm getting ready to close, please? As long as you are hung up on what you don't have, as long as you are hung up on what you cannot do, as long as you're hung up on what you missed out on, as long as you hung up on what you'd have been, God will not use you. That's quite a statement, I know. He wants you to be available first and foremost. But to some of you, you might have never committed your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a little premature for you. And the Lord speaks to your heart again and again, and you have used every excuse in the book until you've run out of excuses. He said, the church is not what it used to be. Christians are hypocrites. I don't have the time. And God keeps calling, saying, come to me. Come to me. Come to me. I love you. Will you stop running away and say, yes, Lord, I'll come to you.